And I think in a way, actually, one can say this is the OG way to be gospel-centered. This is Jesus' <laughs> way to be gospel-centered, to take the Lord's <laughs> Supper. Here we go! Impress them on your children. Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz and Pastor Tony Trussoni. All right, Tony, it's that time again. Well, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I just uh, enjoyed a little water, and uh, you know we still have some Halloween candy, so I had a little little tiny Twix bar. So, uh, how have you been? Minutes. <laughs> Good. I, I enjoyed a pear and a little peanut butter, and uh, heated up some coffee that I had uh, a little bit left in the cup. So, anyway, that was refreshing. Uh, you know, it is Thanksgiving week, and uh, I know you're going to be traveling as will I. And are you going to – is Thanksgiving one of those holidays you look forward to? Yeah, I, I like – I mean, it's not my favorite. I kind of like it. I used to like it more when I was a Cowboys fan in, in high school and got to watch the Cowboys play every uh, week. But, uh, you know, it's uh, – I mean, I hate the drive, you know, the traffic, but it's nice to get a break, so. Yeah, are, are there particular foods that you enjoy Thanksgiving? Yeah, I eat too much foods, you know, and that's kind of <laughs> I love pumpkin pie. I, I like pumpkin pie so much that my wife will make it for me on my birthday in July. Uh, that's how much I love pumpkin nice. pie. So, yeah, so that would answer that. I think turkey's a little overrated at times. You know, chicken's a better flavor, I think. But uh, what about you? I do like the turkey, um, and I do like pumpkin pie uh, quite a bit myself. Now, we're going to be with family that their diet's kind of restrictive, so I don't know hmm. if we'll be having pumpkin pie or not. But not everybody there is going to be quite at that level, so I don't know. Maybe some of us will, will spring. Um, hey, it's Georgia. It you got to have your pecan pie, right? Uh, well, that is a very southern thing. But, yeah, again, they don't eat sweets really. So Okay. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, we're, we're looking forward to this this time of uh, feasting. And, it's, it's I you know, I do enjoy it. You you can watch the Detroit Lions get beat that day. Um, <laughs> yeah, sort of an annual tradition. <laughs> um, but that that idea of the feasting and the meal um, is what we want to talk about today, and not you know Christian gluttony. Uh, though that we should do that sometime. I don't know. We should. Um, or Christian veganism, or you know whatever. Um, there's there's a lot that we can talk about. <laughs> And maybe rail again, so maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> but uh, the church, it's been said, is uh, it's a family that invites people in and gives them a bath and, and a meal hmm. uh, through baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so we want to talk specifically today about the Lord's Supper and how it relates to the next generation's plural. So, uh, Tony, how old were you when you first observed the Lord's Supper? So I, I'm not 100% sure on this. I think I was probably 16 as a new believer uh, that I don't think that they required um, the me to be baptized yet at that church we were at. So I think probably shortly after becoming a Christian, I, I have no recollection of doing it. We would go to Catholic church sometimes, mass sometimes, and sometimes I go with some other family churches. But uh, I believe I never had it until I was 16. So Okay. 
Yeah, I knew you had some different church experience growing up, and so I mean, what were your thoughts? You know, when you observed and yeah, I thought it was neat. It was something different to me. You know, I didn't know really anything about it in the background. And, uh, but I don't think I really fully appreciate it until seminary. You know, I, I become, I mean, we, I honestly probably wor- uh, worship services of the Lord's Supper are just some of my favorite Sundays. I mean, I, I, I long for Lord's Suppers, uh, together with Christians. So, but I don't think I real, I, uh, appreciate it as much then as I do now. But how about you, Ben? What, did you have a Lord's Supper? You know, you probably had it in the womb, right? <laughs> No, I mean, my parents weren't believers and I was in the womb. That's so, right, yeah. Um, I, I don't really remember the first time. I mean, I was probably pretty young, though, and I started going to church with, you know, regularly uh, when I was about five or six years old. So, you know, I saw it there. Um, as far as I know, I became a believer at seven. Um, so I don't know when I actually first participated in it. I imagine it was sometime after that, but I really I don't recall. Um, and so I don't remember because my first exposure to it was younger than yours, like it's on you know on a regular basis. Um, yeah. I have over time come to appreciate it more, and I, I like to look around, you know, while we're mm-hmm. passing out the elements and stuff. And I mean, my church is not huge, but it's, it's not tiny either. So it takes a little while for everyone to receive the elements. Um, though, you know, with COVID we've had to change some things about how it's administered, but, um, you know, that, that I, I like to look around because it is a, you know, we are doing this together. Yeah. Like you said, you know, we're doing it with other Christians. <clears throat> so what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper, and why are there so many names for it? I mean, some people call it the Eucharist, uh, communion, um, I don't know what else, but yeah. So I mean, what's the point? I, I, th- I see the Lord's Supper as really having two main purposes. I mean, first, uh, which is t- one that tends to be emphasized in some circles too much, and in other circles, not enough, frankly. Uh, but I see probably the primary purpose as established in Scripture is that it's a memorial to Christ's death, uh, and the one that he himself established. He himself gave us this as a memorial. And I think in a way, actually, one could say, like, this uh, This is the OG way to be gospel-centered. This is Jesus' <laughs> way to be gospel-centered, to take the Lord's <laughs> Supper. Uh, but I think beyond that, I think, uh, and I'm going to base this some on the passage we'll read later, uh, but I think that this also spiritual union, um, a divine spiritual union to the Holy Spirit, uh, w- with Christians and as, uh, to Christ. So it's like a union of Christ and his bride. I think it's almost like a wedding meal, you know, that kind of brings us together. But I think there's a spiritual work in that. So, uh, the, you know, and there's many names to it. Uh, and I think this shows aspects of what it, uh, what it is, you know, communion. You know, it's communion of the saints, you know, the Lord's Supper. I mean, literally, it's Jesus' Supper. Uh, and there's some of them that just kind of celebrate Catholicness. You know, there's some very Catholic names to the Lord's Supper that we probably wouldn't use. You know, we don't think that uh, uh, neither Ben nor I believe that you have to take the Lord's Supper to get into heaven. Uh, it's not a sacrament. Uh, but yeah, but I think it's just meant to uh, demonstrate the many aspects of it. What do you think, Ben? Uh, what would you see as the purpose of the Lord's Supper? Yeah, you hit it well. I mean, I, I think those are the the two primary things that are outlined in Scripture, and so um, there's nothing really for me to add there. And so I think, but it is important. Like this is one of the things the Lord Himself told us: do this uh, in remembrance of Me, and it proclaims the Lord's death until He comes. 
And so it's it's expected that we will do it with some frequency. Scripture does not specify how often, but that we will do this recurring, you know, this ongoing sign. I mean, I've heard it compared to um, the within a marriage covenant, you know, that the the consummation there is an ongoing thing. So we are still in this relationship together. Um, whereas the wedding happens once, let's say baptism happens once, and then you have this ongoing meal. And so <clears throat> I think it is important for us to understand what's going on because then it affects what we're doing with our kids, what we're teaching our kids and our, our teenagers, uh, whether they participate and all those kind of questions that we want to get into. Um, so how can churches equip parents to shepherd their own kids regarding Lord's Supper? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think a question that's going to divide a lot of Christians <laughs> up. So personally, uh, and we'll get to this part of it later, I think in shepherding, I think most parents should shepherd their kids and they're not taking it. Majority of kids should not take it. Uh, but even when we don't have our kids take it, uh, we should build this into a kind of sense of longing, uh, you know, just in the same way that, I, I mean, you know, kids, nobody, I don't know anybody who is in favor of children, uh, children, uh, getting married as, as children. Uh, but, but almost everybody you know, I mean, thinks there's beauty. There's nothing wrong with a child pretend, you know, to imagining their future wedding or going to a wedding and thinking that's such an amazing and beautiful thing. In a way, to me, it's like that, you know, even when they don't get to participate, I mean, we should build into them that this is something amazing, exciting, uh, really groundbreaking that's happening around me. Uh, and uh, the I, I think another thing is that we should, a way that churches can equip parents to do this is actually making this probably a more common thing. Uh, you know, this is going to be a little stuff. I mean, a lot of, I know a lot of churches that do it very infrequently. I mean, I know of a church that did it uh, once or twice a year. Uh, and I think this should be something that uh, is going to allow parents to regularly disciple children and uh, and that rather than something that's going to be an occasional thing. And not just in thinking about whether or not the biblical reasons are for taking it every week or once a month or once a quarter, but think about how this is going to impact the discipleship of kids. Because my guess is the less often you do it, the less opportunities parents are going to have to disciple their kids in it. Uh, and a lot of things I'll add just real quick is I'll say, um, I think I would encourage children's ministries don't uh, let kids miss it for kids' church. Also, don't do it in kids' church, which we'll get to. <laughs> but uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I think, you know, to me, just in the same way that, you know, churches that have kids' church, junior church stuff, uh, it's often that they'll make sure that they're still in there when a missionary speaks, for example. Uh, and in the same way, I, I think if you're going to have an alternative, I would encourage having kids be there. This is a big deal. It's something that Jesus gave us. Uh, and last, I'll just say, you know, show them. It's a uh, uh, Andrew Peterson is a song, "Windows in the World." And it's kind of about all these kind of things that in God's world that are meant to give us a picture of a deeper spiritual reality in Christ. And uh, and I think we can show our kids that communion is a window in the world to a, a glorious spiritual reality. That's a really good answer. Yeah, and some of the stuff you said there at the end. Um, our our church just yesterday. Um, observe the Lord's Supper, and it was something I was thinking about. Oh, with the kids, because before COVID, um, we, we do keep our 
uh, kids that do the kids worship um th- that window is pretty small it's yes. k4 through second grade and and some of that was just you know through thinking through these things with you not that we had you know let them go up through like their senior year uh before that but it, we did trim back a little bit anyway then during uh once we started back some of that after covid coming regathering there were just a lot of moving parts and we're trying to limit exposure and, and things like that. Yeah. And so we had the kids just go straight there. And, uh, anyway, others, I, I was thinking about it. And some others had mentioned it to me about, you know, how good it would be to have the kids back in there, at least for the, the singing. And so that's something that we did start back recently. And, uh, and I thought, Oh, we're going to do Lord's supper. And then, uh, you know, anyway, we, I did not take action. Um, but I wish that we, could have thought ahead. I, I would have thought ahead on that to have them back in there because we, we observed the Lord's Supper at the end of the service. Um, but if, if that could have been done, because it, we were having a children's training with some workers recently, and something got brought up about baptism. Oh, if we had a baptism, you know, it'd be great if the kids could be in there to observe that. And so that, you know, like you said, it's a teaching moment. So um, I think it is the more you do it, the more opportunities parents have to instruct their children about yeah. it. And uh, creating that sense of longing. So, yeah, I think it's helpful, too, when you fence the table. Um, that's the term that, that's used. Uh, it's not necessarily a biblical term, but um, giving proper warnings about who should and should not take it. And, you know, you're not going to stop everyone necessarily. Um, I mean, I saw someone yesterday that was partaking that, you know, if I were that person, I don't think I would have taken it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't have a personal relationship with this person. I was not going to like jump over pews and run over and you know tackle her. Well, anyway, so Tony, do you think how... we should give communion tokens, by the way, and have them bring? <laughs> that literally was a thing that <laughs> happened in history. That was a thing that existed. <laughs> well, uh, no, that's not a practice we have. <laughs> um, so, how can? Because this is something, you know, especially depending on the age of, of the children, but also, I mean, this is something that can affect students and adults. How can we help, uh, how can churches and parents help dispel the idea that just partaking of the Lord's Supper and, and by extension baptism, that it's just some sort of magical act that gives us favor with God? This, you know, sacramental view, essentially, or, or just even magical. Yeah, so... I tend to think that a lot of that's going to spring out of the focus of of church and how we talk specifically on church membership. And I think if there's a greater focus on regenerate church membership as kind of the big deal, you know, that's not a thing we talk about anymore. Church membership is looked down upon. But I think if we rightly understand church membership and how these baptism and the Lord's Supper connect to that uh, in a way that even kids see it. Uh, I think that we consistently can show it to be the fruit of a miraculous act, not a kind of not a kind of uh, magical thing in and of itself. And, and I mean, that's even you know, I, I tend to believe I'm not one of those who believes that there's nothing spiritual happening in the Lord's Supper. But ultimately, I mean, the Lord's Supper and you know, baptism, they aren't you know, I mean, they aren't a magic trick. They aren't I, they're not a holy sacrament, uh, but they demonstrate something that is deeper that is going has happened beforehand in Christ or or it's happening in a way that we don't see. But I think if we understand that properly, it's going to help with that. Uh, I think maybe we should teach at home uh, that, you know, about 
these kind of things. I think that's part of it. I think there, there should be times around the dinner table where you talk about what baptism and the Lord's Supper is. I think the parents can be the best ones to this. Uh, in addition to that, you know, I, you know, I'm going to be bold and I'm going to say maybe there's a benefit of maybe having like a kid's class on ecclesiology, doctrine of the church and kind of the theology of what the church does and the liturgy or, or the order of service of what we're going to do in class. Uh, but uh, I, I will just add, I don't think basic ordinance theology, which, you know, theology of of the ordinances of a Lord's Supper and Baptism, that shouldn't be master's level doctrine. This should be, you know, the low bar. We should we should be making this something that we expect all everyone raised in our church to have an understanding of what baptism and the Lord's Supper is. Right. Yeah, and again, to quote the, the passage from 1 Corinthians 11, uh, that I mentioned earlier, Paul said that the act itself proclaims the Lord's death yeah. until he comes. Like, it is a proclamation. Now, it's not sufficient for us to only to observe the Lord's Supper and not have the, the ministry of the Word, but uh, it is saying something. And so um, I think it, it, I liked what you said, and we just have to be clear about what's going on when we participate in it. Um, again, frequency provides more opportunities for that. I know, and this is tying it with baptism, but I know when I baptize, I try to make it a point to to be very clear that this act is, we don't think that this is making this person a Christian. No. Um, this is not causing them to be born again or something, that something fundamentally is going to be different about them when they are brought up in the water. It's reflecting uh, something that has fundamentally changed from the inside by God's work. And so... Yeah, I think we just have to, to not assume that everyone's on the same page on that, and, and particularly younger people. Yeah. Um, because, and, and even with adults I've talked to, you know, I talked to this lady uh, one time, again, talking about baptism, but she wanted to get baptized, and so I was asking her about that, why, and she said, well, things were going difficult for her and, and going poorly in her life, and so she thought if she got baptized, like, it would get better. And, you know, this was not a, a six-year-old, and so... Um, just being being very clear about what these symbols, these signs, or not, I guess signs on the book, but what these symbols signify, and, and yeah. not just leaving people's imagination to figure out, but just being clear. So, Tony, when it comes to teaching uh, young kids in particular, because they are they're very concrete thinkers, and this is an abstract thing. Where we're saying this thing means this other thing. Um, should we take the time to really teach them about that? Because, I mean, they may not understand it and just think, okay, this is actually, I mean, you know, not fully Roman Catholic doctrine, but something close to it, yeah. um, transubstantiation, or they're just like, this is weird and gross. Um, I mean, should we take the time to do that or wait? Yeah, so I think that's interesting because theologians often, I think, rightly consider communion to really be like the greater Passover supper. It's in a way it's a replacement for the Passover supper, which is why I personally think I, I wouldn't as a Christian do like a Passover Seder. I think we do it every time we do communion. Uh, and, uh, and if we see that to be the case, what's fascinating is, and go back to, I mean, Deuteronomy, go back to Exodus actually even, and parents were commanded to teach their kids about the Passover. Uh, and so, you know, it, and that's arguably more complicated, you know, than the Lord's Supper. And so if it's kind of antecedent was commanded by parents to teach, I think maybe there's a biblical precedent for saying that we have to teach them that. Uh, and so, and 
when we do these kind of things, uh, this is one of those things, you know, I've said it before, you know, some of these things that we teach, uh, really give them the shoes that they're going, give them the boots that they're going to get grow into. And, uh, which is, you know, probably as an Italian man, maybe talking about boots, uh, when you were asked a question about cement isn't, but, and I think it does make the cross really central their faith when we teach them about, uh, the Lord's Supper. Cause again, I mean, as I said earlier, I think, you know, the Lord's Supper is the original gospel centeredness. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's gospel centeredness, Jesus style, or the OG way, as you said. What do you think, Ben? Um, do you think uh, we should give them some uh, cement galoshes and teach them some things? <laughs> teach them about swimming with the sharks. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think that we should teach kids. No, you don't have to go into you know, some crazy detail about all the different positions that have been held. And, you know, like I brought up transubstantiation and we don't have to go into all of that. But I think we can just say I, I've explained it as, you know, word pictures and uh, actually preached to a group of elementary kids a couple of weeks ago from John six, where Jesus talks about, I am the bread of life. And I mean, that admittedly is, it gets into some deep stuff and it's yeah. abstract. And, you know, I tried to help them see he wasn't speaking in a literal fashion. And by just saying like, well, if I said, you know, this guy is, uh, this, this athlete is a beast. Well, we all yeah. know he's not actually some sort of monster <laughs> running around the field. Um, you know, it just means like, Oh wow, he's, he's really good. He's strong. He's fast. And, Helping them understand, like they even use word pictures, even if they're younger. Yeah. Maybe just not as much. So I think it is worth it that we do teach kids and, and by by our, our direct instruction, but also teaching them through observation of mm -hmm. it. So, Tony, should parents allow their kids to or, and, and their teenagers to participate, not just observe? Uh, and if so, under what circumstances should they allow it? So I, I hold the view that uh, Lord's Supper should be limited to anyone baptized as a believer. And so I, I tend to think, you know, I, we've, I've given my opinion before in another podcast that uh, in general, I think it's un, pretty unwise to baptize young people, uh, very young children, especially. Uh, I, I think you get into a lot of dangers. But if you have baptized your kids, you know, if you have a five-year-old that's been baptized and you think they're a believer... Yeah, go for it. Uh, I wouldn't have a problem with that. But I think in, uh, but as a result, I, I just think we have to be careful with this because I think that what the Lord's Supper does is it's, it's a way of giving affirmation of salvation. It's, and that's an aspect of the Lord's Supper that we haven't talked about much yet at this point. Uh, but I think it's biblical. Uh, I think it's really a sign just in the way that baptism, you know, is a sign of kind of first coming forward. Uh, and the church affirming you, the local church gives baptism. Uh, and it affirms you in that way. And same way the Lord's Supper, uh, is kind of a continual affirmation. So I think that we should be careful to make sure that it's those that we have strong reason to give confidence in the faith. And I would say that to me, since the first act of public affirmation is baptism, it would follow that, you know, the Lord's Supper would be limited to those. Uh, but to me, this is not a ride or die issue. Uh, you know, I know strong Christians and I'm happy to even, you know, be part of leadership that doesn't feel this way. You know, this is not a, uh, I think that there's a lot of implications you need to draw together in this. Uh, but I do find it interesting that actually really only Baptists are the ones that make a big deal out of this. I mean, ev literally every other denomination, I mean, other than Baptistic denominations will say, yes, you have to have the Lord's Supper before 
uh, and you have to have baptism before the Lord's Supper. I mean, Presbyterians do it, Methodists do it, Catholics do it. Uh, it's, but, you know, the difference lies in the fact that we require you to be a believer before you get baptized. Yeah. Well, did you know uh, Doug Wilson's church practices pedo communion? What? Which did, yeah, I've read it. I mean, it's, I've not been there to, you know, witness it, but I mean, it's, it's consistent. Um, yeah. I, mean, I think it's wrong, but I mean, it's, it's consistent. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I would agree with you. Yeah. I mean, it's something that should be those who are, are baptized. They are, um, submitting themselves to the Lord in that way. They, they, you know, given evidence in a church has said, yes, this person uh, has repented of their sin yeah. and, and trusted in Christ. And um, we have some some knowledge of that. Um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, it, it gets into those broader questions that you talked about that we have discussed before about who we're receiving into membership. And so that raises a whole other set of issues and, and how we're walking through that. But I don't think it's – now, I do know of a church that I have a lot of respect for them. And, and um, I mean I don't know the leaders there personally, but I'm, you know, I've read things over the years. And they – the pastor one time was preaching about the Lord's Supper or he brought it up in a uh, sermon and said how – you know, maybe there have been a few weeks back where they were about to take the Lord's Supper and he was giving the gospel and saying, you know, you can take of this if you have trusted in Christ, even if for the very first time in your seat right now, you just trusted in Christ, you can take this. And there was somebody there who uh, kind of on the spot repented of their sin and trusted Christ. Yeah. You know, there was no baptism involved. I think that was very well intentioned. I think that if it were up to me, you know, I wouldn't do it that way. So yeah. like, it comes to your children. You shouldn't just be like, well, hey, why don't you do it and just kind of participate and see what it's like? <laughs> um, you know, it's not snack time. Uh, it, it is it's something deeper than that. And so. By the way, you know, I, our, I have seen, interestingly, I, I know of a church that uh, uh, they uh, they allowed, ba- they required baptism before Lord's Supper, but they also allowed young kids to get baptized. And actually, the, what ended up happening with that is that they, uh, the kids would want to do the Lord's Supper, which they should. I think this should be a long, but then that kind of, uh, kind of made like this big pike towards baptism in an age where, you know, there's no reasonable way in which we can, uh, have confidence that they're Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, Tony, should the the youth you you alluded to this earlier? Uh, should the the youth group uh, or the children's ministry or some other subgroup of the church, I don't know, the puppet ministry or, or whatever <laughs> else, should they take the Lord's Supper together, or, or what about like together over Zoom? Or I would your- say, yeah, I would say no on that. So. I would pretty definitively say no. I mean, I'm going to even say no to like, it's funny. I, I wanted to have Lord's Supper at my wedding and, uh, somebody told me it's a bad idea. I think the pastor was doing it, wouldn't let it. If I remember right, uh, and I don't think Danielle was fully on board yet. Uh, and, uh, if, if I had done it, I was, would have been the wrong on that. <laughs> Shouldn't do the Lord's Supper in any other case other than when you are corporately together as the worship service. I mean, Jesus gave it literally for when we gather 
as a church. Uh, Bobby Jameson, who's a fantastic uh, theologian and pastor, uh, he's written on this. He says that in 1 Corinthians 11, especially when we look at the Greek, kind of this idea of when they all come together is mentioned five times uh, in discussion of the Lord's Supper. So, I mean, that is inherent to the Lord's Supper is when they all come together. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, actually, I think is interesting. Uh, I'll read it because there's one bread. We hear a many are one body for we all take of the one bread. Uh, it shows communion is meant to show the oneness of the body. Uh, it's not meant to be fractions. <laughs> the communion should never show fractions of the body. We shouldn't, you know, we are not one body when we're just teenagers together or one body when we are just our small group together or our family watching on Zoom. Uh, you have to have that be the expression of the one body. Uh, and, uh, and I think that, uh, again, let's just go back to, I mean, this was an ordinance for the church, uh, because it's meant to be this kind of the church affirming one another. As you literally, as you watch that person partaking the Lord's Supper, you are affirming, you know, as you looked around, as you say, I mean, that's what it's meant to be. It's meant to be for us to look around in the way that we can't do when we're doing it on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> Would you agree with that, Ben, or no? I, I largely, Yes, uh, I think that it's improper for youth groups or children's ministries or puppet ministries or whatever else to do it as a subgroup. Uh, and I did it at my wedding. If I had it to do it over again, I don't think I probably would not. Like if I was making that decision right now, yeah. I would not. Um, that was 13 years ago, though. So um, <clears throat> I think it was well intentioned, but I yeah. just don't think it was no. the right thing. That's, that's not what that's it's for. And so, yeah, I, and I think. I've heard of other groups doing that kind of thing. And again, I think it is well-intentioned, but it misses what it is for. And because it's not just a memorial and just a proclamation of the Lord's death. There is that element. And like you said, if from first Corinthians about that, when you come together, when you come together, it's really, Paul's going out of his way to yeah. emphasize that. And so I think we are missing something if we don't pay attention. Uh, I mean, maybe in some really, really extenuating circumstance thing, you know, this church has not been able to meet for whatever time. It's a small church. They're all on the Zoom call. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, it still would not be ideal. I mean, I'm not going to throw those people under the bus if they made that decision, if they've not met in over a year and they can't meet outdoors. I mean, it seems like there, maybe there's a workaround on that, but yeah. um, I, I certainly wouldn't like advocate it. Um, but I'm, I'm going to be cautious on that. But, uh, you know, embodiment is a, it's a good thing. I mean, the Lord himself isn't, you know, embodied. Um, so Tony, this is a, you know, picking up on the first Corinthians 11 passage and, uh, digging into some of those details, but it affects, it's not just some, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen kind of question. <laughs> this really does affect like what we do, how we do it. What does it mean? What does Paul mean? What does the Holy Spirit mean uh, when he talks about don't eat in an unworthy manner and examine yourself before eating? Yeah. I, I mean, I assume that uh, I think this is a complicated passage and there's a lot of takes on it, but I, I think this is kind of a self-assurance, uh, examining self in terms of, uh, am I truly in Christ, you know, and, and that same kind of way, just as the, uh, I think the church affirms you. I mean, I, I don't think that somebody, somebody who has no evidence of faith in their life should not partake of the Lord's Supper. 
Uh, I think also this is demonstrates the com- that communion is really for spiritual union with one another. I think that's what uh, once meant to convey as well. Uh, so I, I would just say in general, I think a principle we should learn with this, I mean, is uh, be prepared to mortify, kill your sin before you eat of the Lord's Supper. But again, I think that's the life, I mean, the, the life of the Christian is a life of killing sin. And so, but, you know, I, I know of, uh, I know of churches that have had kind of times where we're at to the Lord's Supper reconcile now, uh, before. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I would do that as at the time. You know, I think that's disorderly in ways, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but I think there's wisdom in that, perhaps. And, you know, I think it kind of gets at the heart of the passage. What do you think, Ben? I think you hit on the important notes there that, it, yeah, it does invite us to to have some self-reflection paul says elsewhere um to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith and there is sometimes i think especially if you have a tender conscience you can be prone to this introspection in a way that's not good and you're just it's like spiritual navel gazing and you're just taking your your spiritual pulse so to speak trying to to check how you're doing And there's a place where, yes, you, you do um, examine that. But I, I, whew, I forget who it was, um, said someone in the past, a, a Christian, notable Christian, said for every you know look you take at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Mm-hmm. And because especially if you have a tender conscience, you need to remember that what you stand on is you stand on Jesus and what his, his death and resurrection for you. Uh, and so, yes, you are examining your life, like you said, be, be ready to kill your sin, deal with that sin, and, and then also regarding the church. Uh, and I, that was pointed out to me in seminary. One of the professors that was there you know, where we were studying brought that up about regarding the rest of the body, because that's in the passage. It's not yeah. just about you and your personal relationship with the Lord, making sure everything's okay there, um, but that you know, you're regarding the body. Yeah, uh, and, and I don't think that just means like, oh, this this uh, bread that I'm about to take is, is symbolizing and proclaiming Jesus's body broken for me. This is more like the body of Christ that I'm I'm here assembled Amen. with, yeah. and so looking to build unity in that. So yeah, and I think you said it well. <clears throat> um, I think too, you know, I, I've there was a time where I I was a child. Uh, actually, this is probably my first memory. Of okay. uh, now, it's just popped into my mind of the Lord's Supper, yeah. and I was I was in the third grade, and we were uh, it was on like New Year's Eve or something because we were going out to my aunt's house for you know like to celebrate, yeah. and before that we had a church service and they did the Lord's Supper, and the um, I was baptized at this point, and the guy that was passing out the elements stopped at my pew and you know offered it to me, and I looked and like shook my head, and he was kind of like. You know, no, insisting. I'm like, no. And inside, I was having this battle, and I, I felt terrible. What had happened a few months before, it was – I don't remember how long before, but it was cold because I'd worn uh-huh. a coat. And I – this is weird, but uh, that morning at school or before school, I had to go out and take the trash out on the front porch. And I had heard – I was kind of – I could be scared about things, and I watched Unsolved Mysteries way too much. And I heard this noise, and I was like, there's somebody out there. And so I grabbed like this big knife from the kitchen and put it inside the the pocket, like the breast pocket. And so then I walked out there to the trash to take it. And then it was like right after that we had to go. And I was like, oh no, I've got this knife in my coat pocket. <laughs> 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 like a nine-inch knife. 
<laughs> I took it to school. I was so scared that my coat was going to like flap open on the little hook in the back of the room. And I, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. Oh no. And, uh, <laughs> so finally my dad wanted to, t- you know, this was a good, good dad moment. And he, he asked me, he's like, so what was going on? And, or maybe I just told him I wanted to talk. I don't know, but he handled it real well and assured me like I had not intentionally sinned, but you know, I knew enough. I'd been taught like this is a serious thing. Yeah. And don't take this lightly. Uh, now, thankfully, I didn't take knives to school anymore. <laughs> I hope but, not. <laughs> uh, but it was, you know, like my conscience was truly yeah. bothered. I was like, I-, I don't think I should do this. I, I don't want to bring judgment yeah. on myself kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a good shepherding moment for my dad. Yeah. Again, good for your father. So, Tony, you're kind of bringing this to a close. Do you think teenagers or children could help to serve the Lord's Supper? That is a good question. So, <laughs> yeah, I I really had to think about this a bit. So, uh, one, I will say, I think biblically, teenagers could theoretically be an elder or deacon. And I'm not going to say that could be normally. So, I, I definitely think in some cases uh, that could be the case. Uh, but I would say that they can if you don't require deacons or elders. Uh, I think most churches that are kind of of like faith and practice to us would require either elders or deacons, not all. Uh, but if you don't require that, then I mean, I don't see a reason why you couldn't. Uh, but I would say that if you do allow children uh, or teens to do it, I would say we need to be careful. And I think we tend to do this with, we need to be careful in this way with all areas of kids and teens serving. We should not lower the standards of holiness for young people. You know, if you, if you would say that the, the person at that level of holiness, uh, would not be serving the Lord's Supper if they're an adult, you should not have them do that when they're a teen, if that makes sense. Uh, or, you Don't know, just do it because it's child. cute kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So I think do it as a way to connect to the body. What do you think? Do you think that would be wrong or do you think that's okay, Ben? I think, yeah, provided you don't have some reason that it has to be an elder or a deacon. And I guess to my thinking, I don't know why it would have to be, though I can see why, a wise reason for it. I mean, I, I think that's a, a wisdom judgment yeah. call, not so much a biblical you know, precept. I agree. But yeah, if you have someone who this this child, this teenager loves the Lord and you see Evan, they're trying to follow him, I think it could be a way to, to encourage service. And, and I mean, I'm not going to say honestly, just standing there if you're – Different churches do it in, in various ways, but if it is simply passing out elements, I mean, that's, that doesn't really require a spiritual gift to do that. No. Like, you know, the the gift of passing the plate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if you have people coming up and they're interacting with someone, there's some more like shepherding interaction there. Um, that could be a, a different kind of thing. <clears throat> I definitely wouldn't have a five-year-old, you know, uh, give a blessing and then hold hold it out to place a communion on someone's tongue or something. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But I I think it could be a way. I've just been thinking about that lately. You know, there are ways that we can – and you and I have talked about that with fostering and encouraging the use of spiritual gifts, even by young people in the body. Like you don't have to be able to vote to be able to to serve God's people. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't thought about the, the, you know – the elder thing, though, but maybe I should give that some more thought. Um, so do you have any concluding thoughts on this or things that we didn't cover? Yeah, I would just add a couple things. So 
um, that uh, I, I think it'd be wise for parents, especially, and maybe children's ministries, to uh, challenge kids to remember the Lord's Supper passages. Uh, you know, a, a little insider baseball that, uh, you know, I, I know of pastors I know that have served the Lord's Supper even will have to refresh themselves on memorization of those Bible verses beforehand. I know I do. Uh, and uh, then it's good for our souls. And I think in the same way, I, I, to me, those verses when Jesus gives the Lord's Supper should be at hand. And I think it's going to be helpful to teach. Uh, so maybe consider that. And uh, the lastly, I'll say, I think the method of how we do the Lord's Supper, I, I strongly don't believe that there's any requirement to have wine, for example, or anything like that. But the method of how we can do this can communicate a lot to young people. So, you know, I, I mean, I know of a ch- the church we went to in seminary, they actually baked a, you know, they had unleavened bread and they broke, that they, uh, the, the preaching pastor's wife uh, would bake it at home and then they would break it, you know, and you'd see that kind of the symbol of Christ's body broken. And I don't think that's biblically required, but perhaps even doing that once in a while would be beneficial to show kids, you know, this is what it's about, the broken body of Christ. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. Like yesterday, because of COVID uh, precautions, you know, there were uh, elements passed out in yeah. a little prepackage where you get both of them just at the door. And that way it was less touching and stuff. And now I almost spilled my... Uh, the, the fruit of the vine there as I was trying to get the little thing out and the, the wafer. Uh, but I intentionally, I took it and I did kind of, sp- I did break it kind of in my hand yeah. just as a, like thinking about that. And it's, okay. it's interesting I, when I talk to kids about this, uh, cause this is something that when we do, um, our sort of like intro to Christianity and we call it the basics class, uh, about the gospel, we talk a lot about the church. We talk about ordinances yeah. with the kids and, that it's a picture of what Jesus did for us and in baptism, what he's done in us. Um, but that Jesus himself took the bread and broke it. Yeah. You know, it, it notes that he, and, and John talks about, he, he has the authority yeah. to lay his life down and to take it up again. Um, maybe I'm making a big, bigger deal out of it. No, that's cool. As intended, but <clears throat> yeah. yeah. And, and I, I don't, I don't think- really, there's anything okay. biblically required. There's nothing biblically wrong about taking those little things that everybody takes during COVID for. Uh, but uh, nor do I think that parents are required to give their kids actual wine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how those pedo communionists, uh, if they give the kids wine, what? <laughs> That's interesting. Maybe, maybe help them sleep a little bit. You know, yeah. A little fussy in the service. Um, but... Yeah, I don't really have any concluding thoughts because, well, I wrote the questions and so that was <laughs> uh, But I do appreciate you thinking through this with me, and uh, I thought you would have some good insight on this. Uh, hope this is a blessing to, to people as they shepherd their, the kids in their church and in their own family. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.